What did we just watch, Amy? We just watched two things. Oh, no. How will I title the episode? Back to back. We watched uh, the full-length documentary Class Action Park, which is on HBO Max Mm -hmm. uh, from 2020. And then we decided to watch the short little documentary just on Action Park, the amusement park done by Defunct Land, a channel on YouTube that does very good little documentaries, short documentaries on defunct amusement parks and rides Mm -hmm. and whatnot. Hosted by Kevin Perger, just so I get his name on the air. (laughs) Yeah, um, created by, which are great little things. And I think Kevin referenced one of Defunct Land's um, series in his video on The Christmas Carol about... The Muppets it was yes. a great little documentary. He did a, and that was that was basically a full length documentary. It was a five part, mm-hmm. shorter thing on the history of the Muppets, um, up to I think roughly Jim Henson's death. I don't, I didn't see the the last one. I yeah, think we didn't quite finish. It. Um, but it was covering mostly Jim Henson and his experience with the Muppets, rather than. Anything in the post-Henson or Disney eras. Well, how do you want to do this? You want to take one at a time? You want to combine? I think I mean, combining I think is going to confuse our listeners, it, perhaps. It probably will. I mean, there's there was very little information in the Defunct Land documentary that isn't in the full-length one. Yes. Um, although, if I was going to recommend one or the other, it would probably have been the Defunct Land episode. I know. That's why we have the same brain. <laughs> Like watching that little yeah, like seventeen minute documentary, yeah. I got the exact same information. Effectively, well communicated, um, and without some of the unnecessary filler. Yeah, I was I was really hesitant to say that, not because I know any of the makers personally, <laughs> but I know just on like a two hour documentary, they did all this yeah. work. Yeah, oh, it's a ton of work, absolutely. Money, and they had to give it to festivals, and HBO picked it up, mm-hmm. and. Then for a little upstart YouTube channel to make a twenty-minute documentary. That's to be fair, better. he did it. He did it three years ago, he, and he did do it three years ago. Whereas um, the HBO film Class Action Park is from twenty twenty. Yes, um, released in twenty twenty. Copyright twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Well, let's let's explain. Let's before we get into. Like we are one or the other. There's really no spoilers in a, in a documentary. Yeah, this is this is um, public information. You can just go look it up. <laughs> so these are our first unresearched, unedited, unproduced thoughts, impressions, this reactions. Conversation with Kevin and Amy on, um, and sometimes our cat. Uh, yes, who's standing right beside the microphone. So we'll probably hear her soon. Mm-hmm. So this is about. An amusement park that opened in the late 70s mm-hmm. in Vernon, New Jersey, mm-hmm. which I don't... It, it, you could get to... It's New about York, 45 live, miles outside of New York City. Yeah, yeah. So you could go um, from New York City mm-hmm. to there. And um, it got the most press probably for the water park. Yes. There was a water park side. There was a motor speedboat and car... Like side. side, and then there was an alpine side, which had the um, alpine slide, slide down. Um, and it was known for being extremely dangerous. Yes. And 
people were regularly injured and killed. Yeah. More injuries than deaths. Yes. But um, when you get past one death... You've got to really reconsider everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I... Questionable decisions being made. Right. So a documentary about it seems like a good idea to go in depth of kind of what was going on and why that was allowed to continue happening. So in theory, mm-hmm. um, yeah, cause you learn more. We're sitting here going, Oh wow. How could they let this amusement park go on for, for so long? And, and we um, didn't really get an answer. No, like, kind of like, yeah, the guy in charge had connections, I guess, which it was, was, I think kind of disappointing in a longer form documentary to get less of the sort of what was going on behind the scenes. We got a lot of first person accounts, which were interesting. You know, people who actually worked the park, people who went to the park. Um, I noticed that everyone who was listed as a park guest is also a professional like actor or comedian, mm-hmm. um, which as far as like having talking heads in your documentary makes for good storytelling. Um but it wasn't just like a random assortment of park guests. No, but I also got the sense that if you were a child in New York City and New Jersey in the 1980s, everybody went there. Yeah. So there would be a huge pool of people to pull from. Mm-hmm. So clearly the documentary makers were like, we're just going to go with the people we know. Yeah. Who could do it. So that's Which, a choice. Mm-hmm. That's a choice. I mean, and the one who was talking the most was Chris Gethard, who is a a very good storyteller. Like, that's what he does professionally. Um, He's in that sort of weird space between, like, stand-up comedy and, like, in-depth personal monologue on stage. And so he does both of those. I mean, he did an entire stand-up special about his suicide attempt. So, like, he he gets into that sort of deeper storytelling. Um, so he, hearing him tell the stories was certainly interesting and I think well done. Um, but a lot of it was sort of like his reactions were like, how could they get away with this? Which were also my reactions. Yeah. Well, and when we first started it, I kept having the thought in the first 10 or 20 minutes, how how could this happen? Mm-hmm. This is really weird. And I was just looking up, I was trying to look up on my Miramama Webster app the synonyms for crazy and insane because we're, we don't say we don't, those yes, anymore. Try to avoid. But all the synonyms, irresponsible. All the synonyms <laughs> on Merriman Webster are also things like nutter, <laughs> nutty. So uh, we're gonna go with wild, yeah, unbelievable, wild, unbelievable, irresponsible, irresponsible, and dangerous. <laughs> it's like okay, I'm gonna get so into the story part of how this was wild and irresponsible and dangerous mm-hmm. that I probably am not gonna pay so much attention to the the structure of the documentary and how it's put together. Yeah, that's and happen. I was wrong. I I did <laughs> because they stopped having much of a story. Yeah, it it literally became a list of attractions for a good hour like here's this attraction and why it was dangerous and then here's this attraction and why it's dangerous and that's interesting but there's very little like narrative structure right. there was no narrative it was kind of like doop, 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 doop. yeah you could have rearranged the rides in any order and it would have made almost zero difference so and asked. you even you even went, had the question of like when when we get to the part where there's a uh, there is a narrative twist where we talk about the first person who died there Mm-hmm. Um, and then is, we we get 
a very moving story by his mother and his brother and sort of the difficulty of living with that, which I thought was handled very respectfully and very well. Um, and then the headlines are like, first person dies at Action Park. And your question is, well, what about those other people who died at Action Park that we already learned about? Yeah. Yeah. That happened chronologically after this death. Yeah. So it was a very narratively muddy Had to work on timeline and why these parts of the story and these places. Mm -hmm. And I mean, which is structure. Structure, yeah. I would say the answer really felt like, hey, we need a third act moment of comeuppance Mm -hmm. twist sort of thing. So let's put the story. This again, touching, difficult story about a person who died due to unsafe situations, and. Like, let's put that there, and then the rest of the story just kind of fell in around it unsuccessfully. Right, and that moment of the person who died in the family, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is almost 40 years later that they're discussing this, was the only kind of human interest part of it. The rest of it was very distant. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, people who were there, and it was their memories. But yeah, it was nostalgic. Um, I also wanted to say, just in the defunct land, I wrote down about all the rides in that 20-minute mm-hmm. documentary that were not discussed in the two-hour. Uh, we had <laughs> the air rides. Yeah, we didn't uh, talk about those at all. The bungee jump, which was, like, right Shown, before it closed. But we didn't see, yeah. It wasn't there long. Uh, a skate park that also wasn't there long. Yeah. A gladiator challenge. Yep. A monorail. Yeah, which we saw in the thing, but nobody ever talked oh, about. Yes. Uh, skydiving simulator. Mm-hmm. And this is not the high-tech one that, like, you're in a building with no, air. No, this is just, like, compressed. a fan with some pads um, around it. And the bumper boats mm-hmm. uh, were not discussed. And the two-hour documentary mentioned the tanks, but did not show them or discuss the tanks Yeah, um, at all. And so all of those were covered... And what I think was a much better summary of what the park itself had. Yeah, it gave um, you a really good sense of what the park was like to be at. Like, what the different areas were. Which I think Defunct Land does a good job of. Like, yeah. he does a very good job of helping you understand what a park felt like. <laughs> when he discusses rides and what it was like to go on. Often when he can, with actual footage from the parks of people even going on the rides. Because there's... Tons of footage of yeah. people filming themselves on rides. And they post it online, and yeah. then it's it's free-for-all. But uh, I think if, he gets access. Right. Like, yeah. He, he doesn't he, just take. Like, he always puts at least the credit on the screen Each, of the people yeah. he's taking yes. stuff from. Um, so if you were going to watch this, I would recommend watching the Defunct Land uh, documentary on Action Park first on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then watching the HBO Yes. Two-hour length class action so park. Hour and a half. Hour and a half. It felt longer. Yeah, I kept looking at the clock. <laughs> um, Which, for such a, a interesting story, it feels like they just were like, well, this is interesting because it's ridiculous, rather than like trying to craft an interesting narrative with it or tell an interesting story. Right, the, the, the kind of the facts would speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. And facts... Almost never speak for themselves. Yes. <laughs> That's why we have analysis and interpretation. Yeah. Two important And we talk steps. about narrative structure all the freaking time. Our real fans are real tired of us talking about narrative structure. I mean, probably not if they're actually fans, but... Hey, there's some playwrights and dramaturgs out there. Yeah. Um, so... 
do you want to talk any more about kind of the story elements and how this was started or just jump I into mean, the again the, the sort of idea of like oh there's some interesting background here of uh this guy gene being a stockbroker in the late 70s and then getting kicked out by the sec mm-hmm. and like they it very much felt like that was put in there to like give us a sense of who this person was, mm-hmm. but then he basically disappears from the story. Yeah, but we but we know also from the story he was like an auteur of the park. Yeah, like his hands were in everything. But he feels weirdly absent from the actual narrative of the story. Like he is he is sort of this shadowy figure off in the side who's making all these things happen. But we get very little sense of who he is. Mm-hmm. And even at the end with the journalist who's like, I met a different Gene later on in life. Mm-hmm. And, and she does, there's no additional information about that. Just that he was complex. And, and you can't just tell me that. You have to explain how that was the case. Show. Yeah. Um, so I, I was disappointed in how little of him was in the documentary for ostensibly being mm-hmm. about him and his park. And, and sort of the Disney to action parks... Disneyland. I did that backwards. What was this? The the analogy. The, well, so Gene something something. Mulvihill. Mulvihill. Thank Mulvihill. you. Mulvihill. Gene Mulvihill was to Action Park what Walt Disney World was. Walt Disney. Walt Disney was to Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Except Walt Disney did it safely and. Yes, but they were trying to draw those comparisons. But I have a probably incorrect sense of like who Walt Disney is and how his vision impacted Disney world Mm -hmm. and Disneyland, or at least the propagandized version that Disney wants me to have. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I've been taught that over the years. And I feel like if you're going to introduce this person who's trying to fill that role, you've got to show me who they are and how that impacts action world, which we got little bits of. Right. And in the beginning they compare him to, who is Michael Douglas in Wall Street? Yeah, Greco, Gordon Gecko, Gordon Greco. Yeah, uh, Michael Douglas in character Wall in Wall Street. They compare Gene uh, Mulvihill yes. kind of to him, um, and they were pulling clips from like Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, but that's making um, all of those movies do the work. <laughs> yeah, it is. So you kind of get like that idea. Um, but one of the things that I was interested in that was hinted that not really fully explored. Uh, but it was in, like, Trump circle of New York, too. Yeah, um, yeah. The Similar circles moving about. But that the uh, Trump thought about investing in Action Park, but actually found it when it's too, quote, quote, unquote, quote, quote, unquote, too nuts. Yes. It was too nuts for Trump. According to, to a person who was a talking head in this, who I think yeah. has some knowledge but is unsourced other than that yeah that was that was what i was thinking in that moment i was like is the source really just chris gethard telling me that like where like is that okay so problem number one with documentaries in general sources (laughs) you gotta where are they getting their information (laughs) where is the director and the creators in this because almost all documentaries take it as if this is an objective that Mm -hmm. we're doing Civil War. What is it? Kenneth Ken Burns. Yeah. Burns. Ken Burns. It's just the facts. This is what happened. What happened? Oh, to be fair to Ken Burns, he is 
often sharing original documentation in his stuff, at least. He's yeah, like, archival. Yeah, he's so like, here see. is someone reading a letter from a Civil War soldier. But I think a lot of documentarians just think that that's what a document documentary does is (laughs) yeah well you have the talking heads they're an expert in something so you can just have them talk and take that as um correct yes um as fact but that's you have to know who the talking heads is and i was checking before we started this to double check that one of the writer directors was also a talking head was a talking head but he was listed, his Chiron listed his name as a, his occupation as a journalist. Yes. So it's, that's really important that they don't list in that Chiron that he's also a writer and director of, of the movie you're seeing. <laughs> because that tells you something about point of view and mm-hmm. um, how they're, uh, yeah, point of view, how they're approaching it. Yeah, and I didn't realize that until you pointed it out afterwards. Well, that's because I look at all the names at the beginning, and then I memorize Remember them, them <laughs> and then I watch for them again. It's a it's a special skill yes. that often is annoying, but sometimes it comes in handy. Sometimes it uh, So that was the first point where I knew I was going to be annoyed uh-huh. um, by the way that they were approaching a documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, point of view and how they were going to arrange a narrative using facts or um and not they did not differentiate so much between facts anecdotes memory Mm -hmm. um and like interpretation yeah and and primary evidence like we see lots of newspapers about things and newspapers are an interesting thing when you're talking about primary evidence um from a historiography perspective um but we don't understand how any of that gets created or written or is commented on it's literally just so we can put like man dies at action park on screen in a newsletter headline you know right. newsprint headline and one of the points that they kind of make again don't explore i just caught it in passing was that gene mulvihill mm-hmm. uh was shaping a lot of the newspaper article stories yes with- misinformation Mm -hmm. so it's still an archival source Mm -hmm. and we still treat it as as something that was published then but you then don't take it as true the analysis (laughs) that says well this is actually misinformation and Mm -hmm. we know that because yeah well there's a little bit of that with the the guy whose mother tells the story of his death who's like you know they played it off that he was an employee and it was late at night and it was raining and none of those things were true and so then, then when you show the headline and the story and it says those things, you have an additional piece of context that makes you question the narrative and understand these things are more complex, which I did think was interesting because in Defunct Land, he, he called him an employee. Mm-hmm. Kevin Perjurer, the creator of Defunct Land, called that person an employee, probably because he was looking at the original the sources. But then you also have to wonder, and I hate wondering this, mm-hmm. if the family was telling the truth i i assume that they're telling the truth they're a grieving family they're not yes they are the victims here but when you're not providing um context context and facts throughout the thing then then it does become whose side do you believe yeah and and we know we probably can't believe the ceo who Mm -hmm. 
well, and design rides to kill people. <laughs> it doesn't negate the tragedy if he's an employee no. or not. That doesn't take away from the fact that this was an unsafe situation. He was a relatively young and probably kind of stupid person. Not, that's not the right word. I'm trying to fix words. That's not. Irresponsible. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was a teenager. He was, he was 19. a teenager. Teenagers make mistakes and make bad choices all the time, and they shouldn't die for it. But I, I got annoyed because I did think that kind of a through line of this was uh, that you did have a bunch of hormone-fueled, alcohol-drinking, irresponsible teenagers, right? We know that mm-hmm. teenagers make bad decisions. We've, yes. We've all been We've all been teenagers already. and made bad decisions. And that, that excused... That explained the yes. injuries. Is a through line that the documentary was making through the anecdotes mm-hmm. of the talking heads. Yes. And I did not like that. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it shouldn't excuse it. And it shouldn't. And it's not a sufficient explanation um, of how did this happen. Well, they were drunk teenagers. These are things that are going to happen. And then you go, but then the next, the next question you should ask is, why were there drunk, unsupervised teenagers? How did that come to be? What is the next question? Well, and then, okay, so I'm just starting to get angrier and angrier the more <laughs> I, I think about the things that I was going to hit. I did actually write down a lot of things here. Yeah. Uh, so then the narrative put together that they have of the talking head. So what happens when you have an interview with a talking head is you as the editor have to go and have the talking heads tell a story even though yes. they're not in the same room but you not have together. you know five different interviews that you're splicing together um and as we said these all seem to be probably people known to the, mm-hmm. the, i mean my guess is some of the, the 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 former staff members were probably yeah. original research you know things in that sort of sense if he went and found those people and interviewed them to create this documentary I'm assuming. But my also guess is like, yeah, he just knows Chris Gethard. <laughs> uh, so the question you, you just asked, which should be the next question, is why were the teenagers left like unattended? Mm-hmm. There weren't, they were even watched by other teenagers who mm-hmm. were lifeguards who didn't have the training. Why was that allowed to happen even after all these energy injuries? And they come down to this explanation. Well, it was Freedom. the 80s, yeah. and it wasn't like now. Kids went outside, they climbed trees, they broke their arms, you went over to friends' houses and came out after dark, and I got really angry with that... Um, excuse? Excuse, because uh, and we have... Um, well, there's a lot of layers, but... The differences between, yes, we do know that children in the 80s and kind of before did have more, less helicopter parenting mm-hmm. than than we have, especially now. Sure. That's not in question. But just because we didn't have helicopter parenting, there were not an increased number of kidnappings <laughs> or violence against children or murders of yeah. children. Walt Disney World and Disneyland both existed in this time place and we're fine. <laughs> Which is not to say people haven't died at Disney World. That has happened. It is also a tragedy. But they then turn around and actually do something about it. <laughs> well, I just mean in suburban yeah. neighborhoods. Oh, sure. Because that's, they were going to, like, stand yes, by me I and know. the and, Goonies. And, and E.T. <laughs> E.T. So that, you know, uh, you know, 80s. 
Yeah, the, the 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 false nostalgia that Stranger Things is longing for. Right, right. That and and so for the kids, real kids who who did have that and who did mm-hmm. that autonomy, that autonomy. There what they weren't. There was not increased crime against them. No. Whereas they went to this water park that was designed with no safety features in mind. Yes. And given total autonomy, and that caused a lot of injuries and um, tragedy. Yes. These are not equal propositions. Just because you're a child of the (laughs) 80s and you survived trick-or-treating without your parents, Uh like, that's That's equivalent to... Going to Action Park and getting, you know... Trapped in the loop-de-loop slide. <laughs> dislocating shoulders. Yeah. Uh, getting cement burns, going down oh. the alpine slopes. Um, oh, yeah. Yes, those are not equivalent. Having a heart attack because you went into freezing cold water you didn't, wasn't expecting. expecting. Yeah. Um, your body get electrocuted because you fell off the boat. Yeah. Um. Yes. Yeah, those, not not equivalent. So I was getting annoyed because that was just not good analysis. I, yeah, I agree. I agree that it was not good analysis. I I feel like it was an it was a conclusion that was not earned. Um, Which then is really disappointing because then we don't get into the discussion of like really, really why did this happen <laughs> for like ten or twenty years? Yeah, why? What was going on? Yeah, which I would have liked. I would have liked any of that. Uh, yeah, you've said lots of the things I wanted to mm. say. Uh, we're nostalgia for danger. There's this nostalgia for being things being dangerous, um, which is not a useful conclusion to draw from this, I don't think. No, and the other... Oh, you have another... No, no, keep going. Another thought I had. Again, and this was... With the talking heads, the the sense that I got from all of the talking heads was, ha ha ha! This is totally weird, and like some bad things happen, but you know, there was no sense among them of these were criminals. Yeah, which they were. <laughs> these were criminals. There was no remorse. There was no mm-hmm. empathy for tragedy. Um, and, yeah, and arguably the people who worked there were also criminals. Exactly. And they didn't differentiate. You had to pay very attention mm-hmm. to the Chirons, which I do because, because that's do. me. Um, and a lot of people don't. And you have to do it quick because they're only going to show it once. Which I hate. Show yeah. me the Chiron every single time. <laughs> um, but so they have some of them are park guests. Some of them were park employees. Oh, wait, here was the park director. Oh, wait, here was the head of security at the park. Yeah. So there was no differentiation. Yeah, if you're a teenager working there, like, I can forgive you Mm -hmm. because teenagers make bad choices. Make bad choices. You weren't fully knowing the scope Mm -hmm. of, of, of the situation. But if you were the park director and you're also just going like, yeah, this this is weird. And like, he wanted to build this loop-de-loop and, and you know, the dummies got decapitated when we sent so it we down. So we gave the staff members a hundred bucks to jump uh, through it. So, and, and there's no remorse from them. Yeah. That they are not being framed as criminals. Mm-hmm. Which is another 
pet peeve when documentaries try to let the like just let the quotes speak for themselves and the talking heads speak for themselves (laughs) without any other context Mm -hmm. then with choosing not to editorialize is an editorial decision it is presenting it as neutral Um, yeah there's a huge difference between a talking head who was a park guest mm -hmm. and someone who was in a leadership position yes as an adult not a teenager Uh uh-huh they kind of tried to justify it a little bit with the the head of security and talking about how he started when he was young and he just hung around long enough so he became the head of security but i feel like that doesn't justify it well, I mean, there was at one point, he's, he was, I don't remember what it was, if it was maybe the liability insurance, and Mulva Hill was like, I'm not going to buy the liability yeah, insurance, and head of security fake. is like, well, well, you have to, and Mulva Hill's like, what are they going to do? And They didn't do anything. Um, but at that point, like, you have an ethical, moral responsibility. Yes. I agree. I think that's clear. I think it's less clear for the teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> teenagers um that also made me angry uh-huh. in the lack of decision editorializing context <laughs> accountability um yeah. but yet i you know it tries i think in this way documentaries try to present themselves as objective just mm-hmm. the facts the the talking heads will speak for themselves mm-hmm. um but it's not all objective when you start putting all these things together of course. It has a clear point of view yeah and that's what we're criticizing right right so i just hope that other people watching this also see that yeah. point of view we need to watch a documentary that we're gonna like here's the problem i think that i find i think we cannot watch any more documentaries produced by hbo or netflix <laughs> Because they're all hitting similar yeah, narrative standard. story hey, Hulu points. Was in there too. Um, yeah, and Hulu. <laughs> um, that make very uninteresting documentaries that don't say anything and yeah. don't take you deeper they're, they're, into the subject matter. They're local news puff pieces, is what it really feels like. They're, yeah, they are puff pieces. They treat everything in a little positive light, even. Yeah. Uh, we stopped watching. We got it through one episode of The Vow, which I don't think they were going to. Like, it's not a good thing that happened. No, they weren't going to, like, cast it in a, in a but, right light. But The Vow had the problem of, like, hey, this is a story that probably should have been an hour and a half long documentary that we're going to stretch over two seasons now. Right. Um, which this, again, still felt long for the amount of story that was in it. I, I felt much more informed by the 20-minute Defunct Land. Yeah. Um, Defunct Land wasn't able to really go into the context of Gene Mulvihill, mm-hmm. but really neither was Yeah, the, the film the didn't HBO really go into film, a lot of that either. So... I need to pull some of my Criterion documentaries off, because I've got good ones, too. We've got, yeah, like... Yeah, of course. Like, documentary is such a powerful... Um, format, yeah. A format. But I, I think that it's very deceptive and you need really critical watching capabilities. Mm-hmm. Just like media literacy. You need like documentary literacy. Yeah. And I think yes. you need that when you're creating a documentary as well. Yes. I think that's that's something a lot of people are just, I'll just interview everybody and then put the interviews together and then I got a thing. Yeah. That's, it's like, uh, yes, you do have a thing. Is it the thing you were meant to create? <laughs> 
Are you saying what you wanted to say? Yeah. Yes. I think I have more of the same comments. Yeah. That's fair. I was noticing, I liked the animations, that the animations could kind of, like, recreate the rides and and animate for you what, what, how they went wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they don't have footage of, and we don't want to see footage of Of people people getting injured. injured, um, (laughs) Yes, I I had the same thought. So, like, I appreciated that, but as I went on and on, I just went, like, these animations are editorializing so much that mm-hmm. these were dumb ideas. How could anyone, like, do yes. it? And then not questioning and, and any not, of that. Yeah. Um, and never exploring, well, why did people test it out? Mm-hmm. I, I, maybe it does, because the, they were all dumb teenagers, and it became a rite of passage to break Yeah, and bones. then there was a hinting of, like, some serious hazing that was going on in the staff, mm-hmm. that they just sort of like, yeah, we don't talk about it. And I'm like, we should explore that. Let's talk about how this created a culture of continuation within the staff that mm-hmm. led to these systems and led to these situations repeating like, themselves for decades. Right. What's the kind of the psychology of, yeah. of these events, of how you get into thought patterns and thinking about it that... Um, yeah, you have the hazing ritual. There are certain mm-hmm. rituals that mm-hmm. you're going through. Did we just discover another cult? Is it a cult? It's not a cult. It's probably not a cult. But I feel like half of these documentaries are about They're cults. always about cults. <laughs> They're always about cults. Yeah, it, 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 there are two documentary formats. Uh, the Making of a Murderer and Wild Wild Country. Those are the only kinds we get anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, except for the Oscar winning ones I think. well yeah except for the good documentaries but the there are two genres of streaming service documentaries <laughs> yeah so you need more independent filmmakers yeah for better documentaries yeah we'll watch a good documentary next yeah <laughs> but yeah we liked the defunct land video go watch that go watch his other stuff he does a lot of really good stuff that is is well researched and informative yeah. I really liked his Muppet series. Yeah, and it's it is fun to watch things on rides. You did ride as a kid and kind of remember mm-hmm. it. Uh, he did one that was incredibly traumatic, probably the most traumatic ride I've ever been on. Really, um, I don't know. I don't think I knew that which one was. I think it? we watched. Yeah, well, I think we watched it. It was in uh, Universal, the earthquake. Oh yeah, I do car. remember you talking about that. Yeah, and how like terrifying that was. Uh, and watching that made me realize I was not alone in sobbing. <laughs> I remember specific. I, I was little. I mean, like younger than nine. Mm-hmm. So my mom was with me, and I was bawling. But the guy beside me was like, "It's okay. I cried too." <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so it's so, yeah, interesting rides that aren't mm-hmm. there anymore. Yes. Um, yeah. Theme park YouTube in general is one of those areas that I'm really afraid to fall down into because I think there's a lot of neat stuff there. Yeah. Um, Actually, but, satisfies my need to go to a theme park. Oh, yeah. Um, it's much better than actually going to a theme park. Yeah. It's a little, I mean, for me personally, it's hard. Uh, fibro in terms of energy <laughs> and ability uh, yeah. to to walk a lot of places mm-hmm. and crowds and heat mm-hmm. and loud noises and loud noises and all the stimulation. Yeah. That's just, um, no, thank you. 
Alright, well I think that's all we got. I'm gonna double double check my notes. Anything else I mentioned? The animation. The animation was well done. I thought I thought it was good. Again, editorializing in a lot of ways. Silent uh, editorializing. Yes. So you can't sort of editorializing where you're not even sure the filmmakers realize they're doing it. I'm sorry, filmmakers. I know it's so hard to make a film. It is. It's incredibly hard. It's an interesting topic, and, you know, it's impossible to make a film. Well, uh, getting John Hodgman as a narrator was an interesting choice. That's the last thing I wanted to mention. Oh, yeah. Well, it was probably in the same, like, I kind of know this guy. Yeah. Kind of from New York, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, I have a hard time believing John Hodgman when he talks ever because I listened to his three audiobooks of made up facts presented as truth um, because he thinks made up facts are much more interesting than actual facts. Mm-hmm. And I agree with him on that. They're very interesting books. But I hear his voice and like he even did that shtick when he was the like announcer for a couple of award shows. Like they had him as the, the prize announcer when, yeah. you know, oh, Meryl Streep is coming down, and they go, Meryl Streep's won two Oscars before. Except he would yeah. say, Meryl Streep keeps a hive of ladybugs in one of her gloves. Or something like that. Um, so I, I have trouble believing anything he ever yeah. says. Well, that's important <laughs> context, too, because we go in having ideas about the performers yes. already. Yeah. Um, which is not a bad thing. You cannot no, stop you can't that. avoid it. That's why I have headcanon about all the Vancouver actors who are on all the sci-fi shows I love so much. It's like they're all on the same show. Yeah. It's really wild. It's a wild show. It's a wild show. The chronology is a little confusing sometimes, but... There's time travel in several of them, so it kind of works out. It kind of works out. Okay, well, I think that's enough for uh, Action Park. Uh, Let's talk about our Patreon. We're going to remember to do that. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash five degrees. You can give us money for making this podcast that you listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to do that, that's cool, but don't feel obligated. We're going to keep making these for free and they will always be free. But if you are a Patreon, you get special behind the scenes footage of what happens immediately after I turn the microphone on, but before we start recording and what happens after we stop recording, but before I turn the microphone off, uh, secret bonus episode footage and yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of but sorry patrons <laughs> i'm not there saying it's good i'm just saying there's more of it uh you also get to see behind the scenes in terms of what movies we didn't pick uh every week we often have a list of four or five movies we pick from to decide what we want to watch that week and so i share what we didn't watch this week so you can see those uh, but mostly it's to support us, to, pay, to patronize the podcasting arts, to support us for helping us listen, or to, for listening to us talk about things. Although just listening to us talk about things is very supportive, and we appreciate that. Uh, we know it's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> we're a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, you can also leave us reviews on podcast apps. That's a thing I'm told is very helpful. Um, or just tell your friends about us. Say, hey. You want to hear two pedantic people complain about the state of documentary filmmaking today? Well, I've got the podcast for you. But just to clarify, that doesn't mean we hate everything. <laughs> we we like, like lots of a things. lot of things, and we love a few things. Yes. Well, we spent a lot of time on the last one. I feel like talking about a movie we we really enjoyed, but yeah. What movie was it? Oh, Suspiria. Yeah, Suspiria. We really enjoyed and and witches. Yeah, you can you can tell dance. if we really like it if we go. I want to watch that again immediately. Um, even though we spent a lot of time talking about it, it's, yeah. it's 
how we work. Although you did spend movies. like ten minutes talking about how the cinematography of the dances wasn't. No, I know. That's okay. what I'm saying. Is even <laughs> though I spend ten minutes talking about how the cinematography of the dance is just bad, I really enjoyed Suspiria and have fond memories of watching it, and we'll probably return to it at some point. Uh, so yeah, that's all the things. Patreon.com slash five degrees. Uh, give us a buck or two for an episode or whatever you feel like. Uh, mm-hmm. It's cool. Say goodnight, Amy. Good night, Amy.